um, Titus chapter 3. It's like this tight little paragraph that has just about every aspect of the gospel in it. And so that's why we wanted to just come back and really dwell on this. Because regardless of what is going on in our world, I think one of the most important things that we can do is just come back to the fundamentals of the gospel here. Um, and it's like this, this chapter is really like just a concentrate of the gospel. Um, and when I was a kid, my mom used to get mad at me all the time because if you're, you know, the like concentrated orange juice in the can, that's like so sweet and sour and just goes like out of the can there. I used to eat that stuff or I would eat, I would eat like half the can and then put it back in the freezer. My mom would always get really mad about that, but it's like, it's so sweet. It's so good. It's like a half gallon of juice compressed into one can. And essentially that is what this paragraph that we're going to look at in the book of Titus is. It's essentially like the whole gospel just like concentrated and compressed into this little can. And so what my hope today is, is to actually like add water to it for you guys, um, to actually like give you some gospel juice here, um, to expand this that's just been packed in to this rich little paragraph, um, because this really is important. Um, this is essentially a concentrate of what the gospel is, of what the Christian faith is. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the experience, but has anyone ever asked you, like, as a Christian, what do you believe? Have you ever had to answer that? Um, have you felt 100% good about your answer? Eh, so-so. It's like, I mean, I've had the experience. I know how it goes. Someone asks you, like, so what do you believe? Or the conversation goes to the point that you're going to explain it, and sometimes it feels like it goes really well, and sometimes it's like, well, you know, so, like, there's Jesus, and he's God, and, and you know, his dad is God, and so, you know, he died for us, um, and you realize you're rambling a bit, and you're like, okay, and, um, you know, he, he saved us, and so because of that, like, you know, we don't, like, we love our neighbors, and we don't, like, sleep with everyone, and I think cigarettes are included in that or something, um, and we realize, like, we're rambling, their eyes are glazing over, and we realize, like, oh, we're just not getting... Um, to what it is that we actually believe. If you've ever experienced that, where you had a hard time just like explaining what you believe, look no further than Titus chapter 3. Go to Titus 3, verse 3, and you'll be able to see it. Um, or maybe you're not a Christian, um, and you had the experience where you asked one of your friends, what do you believe? And then they kind of gave you this rambling, kind of weird answer. Um, and then you heard on a podcast some celebrity Christian who explained it very differently, and you're just wondering, like, can someone give me a straight answer? Like, what do Christians actually believe? Well, Titus chapter 3 is going to show us that there. And so if you would turn to verse 3 of Titus chapter 3, we're going to look here at the Apostle Paul explaining essentially the entire thing, this gospel concentrate in one little paragraph. What is the gospel? What do Christians believe? Well, Titus 3 verse 3, where it says, and all the words on the screen as well, that at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Okay, that's it right there. That's the gospel, right? This chapter is essentially how God saves people. The how, the why, this is the good news. 
Do you guys see it? Like, this is kind of what we are all about as Christians. It's in this one little section right here. This is the good news that we believe. Um, And if I were to concentrate even further, this little paragraph, you could really pull out kind of four main points of like, okay, what is the gospel? Well, you go through this paragraph. At one time, we were foolish, so sinners need a savior, right? There's the start. That's where he begins. But the kindness and the love of God appeared, right? Jesus came to save us. He regenerated and renewed us, right? The Holy Spirit changes us and actually rebirthed us, as we're going to see. I mean, so now we're justified and adopted, and we have hope of eternal life, right? This is essentially the good news. This is the Christian faith right here. This is what we believe. And like, if you can't get on board with this, or if you're not like excited about this, if we have no excitement, if we have no hype about this passage right here, then like, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> we, we're missing out. We should probably go golfing and waste our lives or something. But this is essentially everything that we care about is right here in this passage, right? This is a summary of what Christians believe. And I know some of you, we've got a lot of smarty pants Christians in the room, and that's great. For some of you, this is review, and I hope it is. That really is my hope. Um, but still, we have to see that it's important. It's still important because even if we've been following Jesus for a long time, we don't all have it all figured out. And I think it's important to just continue to go back to the fundamentals, the concentrate of the gospel, to just go into greater depth, right? To be able to have a greater depth and a greater clarity on what we do believe. This is essentially what Titus chapter 3 can be for us. Um, This can be like the ballast on a ship. It's the weight down at the bottom of the ship that keeps a sailboat from tipping too far, right? So that the wind doesn't toss it to and fro, that it doesn't just get blown over, but that we can catch the wind, the ruach of God, to be propelled on mission because we're deeply rooted in the truth of the gospel here. And so it might seem like review for some of us. It's like, yeah, that's the gospel. That's what Christians believe. But I promise you it's so important for us to come back to these things over and over again. Um, Because while that might be a a simple four-point summary, um, really, one of the things that you'll notice, and I would encourage you to go through this passage over and over again, is that Paul didn't, like, leave anything out. Um, He just about covered every doctrine you could cover in the Christian faith in here. And if maybe in, like, 15 or 20 years I've gone through the entire Bible with you guys and I'm running out of ideas, I realize, like, I could probably preach, like, 15 or 20 sermons just on this one little section here. Um, Because Paul didn't leave anything out. If you look at all the little theological con- doctrines and concepts that he went through, I mean, he covered it all. He went through original sin, depravity, the kindness, the love of God, right? Jesus, our Savior. Um, he went through salvation, um, sanctification, rebirth, renewal, justification. He went through adoption. Uh, he covered so much stuff on here that my little list couldn't even handle it. Um, it was freaking out with its formatting there. Um, but really, if you were to go into this chapter, Paul covered everything. This is such a tightly packed section. And if you ever want to know, like, well, wait, what do I actually believe? What are the fundamentals? Or how do I just explain the Christian faith? You can find it in Titus 3, 3, right here. Um, but again, that's really how they concentrated. And so we have to kind of, we kind of have to add water to it. We kind of have to go into these things. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're not going to be able to cover every single bit of this. But with what we have time for, let's add some water to this. Let's figure out what is it that Paul is teaching when he was teaching this, this young pastor, Titus, at the church in Crete, how to have a healthy church. He told them the gospel in this very concentrated state. And so we're going to go through that. We're going to take a look at that. And the first 
question that I have for you as we revisit this paragraph, we're going to kind of walk through it, is do you prefer good news first or bad news first? How many people are good news first kind of people? Christina, is it? Okay, Tatiana. How many people are bad news first? Give me the bad news first. Okay. Well, good. Okay. Because if you can't tell, the Bible actually takes a stance on that debate. Um, Sorry for you two who prefer the uh, good news first. Uh, But Paul begins here. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, right? He goes on to say, we were hated and we were hating one another. And you're like, man, that wasn't that bad. Um, But he starts out with the bad news. Bad news first. And the reality is with our faith and with the gospel, we have to start with bad news. Um, Unless we start with the bad news, we won't actually understand why the good news is any good. Um, We'll just think maybe it's more good news on top of already good news. We've got to start with the bad news. And he mentioned some of it there, um, but what is the bad news? Um, The answer is just the news, any news. Um, If you've ever watched the news, news is bad news. That's what you cover. Um, You cover the things that are bad. Do you know why the news is always bad? Because of sin, because of original sin, because of total depravity here, because it's part of the human condition. (laughs) Some of you said, because they're manipulating us. Um, Well, sure, but because of sin here. Um, And this original sin, this depravity, frankly, is like the easiest thing in the world to prove in our society, isn't it? Um, Murder, theft, violence, lying, all of the relationships that destroy lives, Um, All the things that the news covers, that's the bad news. And that is a result of original sin here. And this is where the gospel starts here. Um, And obviously, this is a big, huge story, and it's important to know that story. It's important to know the story of God creating the world, God creating mankind, and to know that human beings in the beginning were created good, right? That God didn't create bad people or a sinful world, right? Every time God made something, he declared it good. He declared it all good because he can't help but being good. But then Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in a lot of different ways. And so now we have inherited that sin. That sin is genetic. In fact, it's even more than genetic because Scripture says even the rocks cry out to be made right. That actually all of creation is now suffering, is in rebellion to God. In in Isaiah, it actually says that, you know, one day when Jesus makes everything right, the sheep will lie down with with the lion. Does that mean that all of our favorite Discovery Channel shows as a kid, of like the predators running and chasing everything, is a result of sin? I think all of, I think my favorite childhood nature documentaries have all been ruined because of this. Um, But either way, that's the bad news. That's the bad news here. We have to talk about the bad news. I would love to skip to the good news. I would love to just be the bearer of good news and tell you all the great stuff. Um, But if you skip the bad news, then you actually only get half the news. And that gets into the the manipulation that somebody mentioned there. Um, But what we have to understand is that God wants us to see the truth of our original condition, the truth of the bad news, in order to see the goodness of what Jesus has done, in order to truly see that. Um, Because the scriptures, they paint this very plainly. That at one time we were foolish, all of this stuff, that Jesus came to save us from our sin. Right? Not to save us from having a bad day, not to save us from, you know, being born into poverty or not making enough money, not to save us from a tummy ache. Jesus came to save us from our sin. Our sin. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, 
says that your iniquities have separated you from God. Right? That is a key phrase, that our sins separated us from God. And in Romans and in the Gospel of John, it says that our sin actually makes us enemies of God. So, the bad news is that apart from Christ, we're hopeless, we're guilty, we're lost. We essentially are floating down the river of death. We don't like to hear it, but essentially, we're headed for hell. Right? Um, Jesus, you might know, actually talked about everyone's least favorite subject, hell, more than anyone else. Um, and in John chapter 3, he says that those don't, who don't believe in him are condemned already. Um, it's like your trial already took place. Um, and you're guilty. It's been decided, right? But Jesus is offering a way out. But he has to say, you know, this is the track that you're on. This is the track all of us were on. That this is actually what sin does, and it, it, it leads us to that destination. Um, and we have to recognize that though this is a really hard thing to sh- say, and this is like a hard thing to begin our belief with, especially when sharing, um, we have to include the bad news here. Um, that this I know is often used just to put people down. And so we're afraid to have these conversations. Often we feel uncomfortable with it, but this is part of the news that people need to hear. And it's especially important for people to hear because I think we can recognize that all around us in our friends, in our culture, um, people are seeking happiness, but people are, it seems like just sadder than ever before. And we have a generation who feels much more meaningless, much more sad, much more empty than ever before. A whole generation who feels like they will never find joy in their entire life. And they're seeking all these things one after another. And we have to be able to tell them the truth that there is no source of joy, of happiness, of salvation outside of God. That, yes, this is the life that you're living or the the death, actually, that you're headed for. That the happiness you long for that has been put there by God can actually only be satisfied in him. The living God. So this... As Paul writes to Titus, is where you begin with the bad news. But if you notice, one of the ways that he described it is he's writing to Titus on how to have a healthy church on the island of Crete here. And obviously we've talked about kind of the pressures and and the cultural situations that surrounded that. But one of the things that Paul makes sure that Titus teaches his Christians there in this church is that we too were foolish there, right? You need to teach all of the Christians that we too we're sinners there, right? Teach them to remember where they came from. And this is a message for all of us as well, to remember where we came from without Jesus, right? He actually, the Apostle Paul said the same thing to the Ephesians, um, where it's after chapter one, where in the book of Ephesians, he starts out with all these blessings, and it's like this most beautiful thing. And then in chapter two, he changes gear, and he says, we were children of wrath, just like everybody else. Um, but the reality is that's an important thing. And that's essentially the great equalizer that should change the way that we treat people, to remember we're no better than anybody else. That we too were that way. That the only difference, the great equalizer, is that we simply had our eyes opened. But that we too were foolish, disobedient. That we too were headed for death in this way. So this is important. And this really changes the way that we interact with people as well. Um, but essentially, that's the bad news. Bad news begins here and we have to be able when we communicate what we believe when we even just think about it in our own heart and mind we have to start here and recognize that but we don't have to be ashamed or afraid to talk about the bad news because it doesn't end there right because of what happens next and that's the saving work of jesus because the apostle paul goes on in this chapter to say 
when the kindness and the love of God appeared, he saved us, right? The kindness, the love of God, the phileo, familial, brotherly, philanthropic love of God, right? His generous love for his people. It's like we were God's enemies, deserving wrath, right? But his love and his kindness appeared. And if you've ever wondered, like, you know, why, why would God save us? Why didn't he just do, like, Noah's Ark again? Or why did he even save Noah? Why not just start from scratch? Because he's kind, because he's loving, because this is just who he is, right? We know in John three sixteen that God so loved the world, he sent his son. Whoever would believe in him, well, they won't experience all the bad news that we just talked about. They would not perish, but they would have eternal life. And in Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were living in that bad news that we talked about, Christ died for us. So it's like we faced all of that bad news, and then Jesus came. Then Jesus came. And he goes on to say he saved us through the washing, the rebirth, the renewal by the Holy Spirit. And this is a really important aspect of what we believe to recognize that we can't save ourselves, right? That sin has done irreparable damage um, to our lives. And we lie when we think that we can change ourselves without the supernatural help of God, that we could save ourselves without the help of God. Um, It's like, you hear it all the time. It's like, yeah, you know, I've got some problems and I'm trying to work on it. And that's why I'm reading Jordan Peterson. I'm trying to make my bed and move out of my mom's basement. And it's like, no, that your issues are so much deeper than that. You, they're spiritual. You actually need supernatural help from God, right? And it's like, no matter how much we would try to wash the black stain in our lives out, like we can't. Um, Because it's not like a stain on a t-shirt where you might be able to wash like Sharpie out of a t-shirt. But this is like our original sin would be like trying to wash the Sharpie out of a Sharpie. Like you're going to try to wash the black off the end of a marker. It's like, you're just going to be wiping and wiping and wiping and washing and washing and washing. It's not going to do anything. What actually happens is Jesus actually takes that, throws it away, and gives us a new one. That's what he's talking about here with this this rebirth, right? Jesus offers supernatural change, the salvation. It's a complete washing, complete regeneration. This will be my second sermon in a a row. I'll quote the great philosopher Stefan Fertig, who said that the new you is the true you, right? It's a cliche, but you can't argue with him. Right? The new you is the true you. That you who has been born again is actually who God has made you to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Right? The old is gone. The new has come. It's not if anyone is in Christ, he's like a better person, or she's just got a great new attitude. No, you're a new creation. Not a better person, a new person. And it's in Ephesians chapter 2. When he, the apostle Paul said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live, right? You follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is not the ruler you want to follow. He said, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And so notice that language there. Notice the word dead. Apostle Paul just says straight up dead, right? Spiritual death. And this isn't hyperbole. Um, This is to show us the reality of the spiritual life without Christ. Um, And to show us the reality of what we believe as Christians is, um, you know, as Christians, we don't believe that we were bad and we need Jesus to become good. We believe that we were dead. We need Jesus 
be alive, right? And so we aren't trying to, when we share Jesus with others, we aren't trying to talk people out of badness and into goodness. We're trying to show them that they're dead and Jesus has offered life. And I think this really changes the way that we do things, right? We have to see people and be able to speak to them recognizing the death, like they're dead souls. And so if we as Christians want to rant and rave at non-Christians for sinning, for the way that they live, we are essentially beating a dead horse, right? Where is the kindness? Where is the love in that, that Jesus showed to us, right? Christians don't believe that you follow God so that a bad person can become good, but a dead person can have life. And then there's so much more. Um, as you look at this little paragraph of the nitty gritty of really what goes on in salvation, and we could spend a lot of time just on rebirth, renewal, on sanctification here, um, but just skip ahead to the line where he says that we have been justified by his grace, right? Having been justified by his grace. Um, because this is a really important line. Um, justification is legal language here, um, it's declared legally innocent. We deserve punishment, we deserve death, we're guilty. We've received pardon, forgiveness. It's like we committed a crime and we all saw it. But Jesus says, you're free to go. God says, you have been justified. And in Romans chapter 3, Apostle Paul says that all you Christians, you know, you're all, you're all sinners and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, right? He gave us justification, justification. And if we think about this, our guilt was, you know, rebelling against God, uh, hating him, cursing God, forgetting the creator who had created us. And then he, God, Jesus, the one who created us, the God that we are rebelling against, the one that we are an enemy of, laid down his life to forgive us and to justify us. And it's like in the spiritual world, what Jesus did is right there in the courtroom as we were the ones hating him. Essentially, Jesus said, here's all my blood um, shed for all of their bloodshed. Here's my blood their innocence and so we believe that his blood covers any of the sins that we've committed right that our guilt for eternal punishment has been washed away it's been justified it's just as if you never sinned right essentially you're free to go that's what this means you were guilty and now because of jesus the judge looks at you and just says well you're actually free to go Right? This is amazing. This is the gospel here. Um, but it's actually even better than that um, because the story of the gospel is not just the story of the courtroom, but we actually get to go from courtroom then to living room. Having been justified by his grace, it says we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life, that we have become heirs. And so this is about adoption. Um, that we stood before God, the judge of the universe, and we stood there guilty. And then he cleared us. And now he invites us actually to live with him in his house as his child, as a child that he raised and he loved, and that he would give all things to. 
That's ours now. And so it goes from courtroom there to living room as an adopted child of God. And in Romans chapter 8, it says that we actually, can you bring that one on the screen there, Micah? But it says in Romans chapter 8 that the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Um, And crying, Abba, Father, this isn't like the daddy version of the word father. Someone taught that in like the early 2000s and ruined a generation of Christians. Um, Don't pray, Daddy God. Um, Paul is just using, you know, the Greek word for father, which is father, and then the Hebrew word for father, which is Abba, right? It's just father in Hebrew. Don't be gross. Um, But he's making it clear here, bringing the Hebrews and the Greeks together to make it clear that it's not just the Jews who get to call God father. It's not just the Greeks, but actually all who believe in him are adopted. We get to call him father. Whatever language you want to use, you can use that to call him father, right? And so if you've ever felt a need for for deep belonging for this community, if you've ever had a desire that there's some kind of depth to relationship where you could be known truly and loved truly, that desire has been put in you because God is supposed to be our father and God has invited us to be adopted by him, right? That we would run to him and that we would receive the welcome, the open arms of a loving dad, of a loving father, right? That the family that we maybe never even dreamt of, it's actually available in Christ. And this is central to what we believe here. We are adopted because of that. We're not enemies of God. We're adopted as sons and daughters. And this is what Christians believe, right? That we've been adopted as God's kids. And our inheritance then, as it says, is eternal life, right? It's eternal life, life with him, not death. And you guys, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is Christianity right here, essentially. And if you're not a Christian, plain and simple, this isn't my opinion. I tried to cite all my sources. This isn't like my version of Christianity. Like this is just Christian belief right here. And if you are a Christian, maybe you uh, struggled sharing your faith at any time, like we talked about, you could relate to that situation. Memorize this, know this, come back to Titus chapter 3 over and over again, because this is it. This is a summary of what you say you believe, right? It's complicated, there's so much to it, and we want to just think about, but what about this, 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 and you can't leave this out. And then we end up going through from Genesis to Revelation with someone in a conversation, and obviously their eyes glaze over, and they're like, what are you even doing? We can just turn to Titus chapter 3 here, right? Familiarize yourself with this. Memorize it. Know this. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. But, obviously, don't just let it end there. I think it would be great if every single one of us had this memorized. If someone asked us, what do you believe? We'd be able to just boom, 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 quote Titus chapter 3. The Apostle Paul doesn't end there, though, just with knowing it. Because at the end of this little paragraph, he says, I want you to stress these things. So that those who have trusted in God, that's you guys, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, right? That God's grace, God's mercy is not now licensed to just kick back, do whatever we want now, um, but God's grace is actually empowerment, pushing us towards righteousness. And if we're continually falling into sin, if we're continually just ignoring uh, people who need help and who God is pushing us towards, then the reality is that we are not using his grace as we sang today that could be abusing his grace 
in that case, that the purpose of his grace is to push us towards holiness, to push us towards his purpose. It gives us power over sin. And he mentions over and over again about the Holy Spirit's work. And that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in us is he gives us power over sin. This, this new birth, this new life, he gives us. Um, but then in that new life, he's then with us. Just as we prayed about that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and he's in us shaping us. And you could get into a whole conversation about sanctification, right? That throughout our lives, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Empowering us towards maturity, pushing us towards transformation into the person of Christ, to look more like Christ. And so with the Holy Spirit, um, this holiness, this being committed to good deeds is actually possible. That we're called to be holy, and we can't be perfectly holy in this life. But since we have him with us, we can obey, at least. I do believe that obedience to God is attainable. I do believe it's possible. We're not called to be perfect, but we're given the Spirit, and we're told that we can keep in step with him. I do think keeping in step with the Spirit is attainable. It's doable. And you know this as well as I do, that obedience to God is doable. right? The last time you sinned that you could think of, the last time you ignored someone who's in need, I know that you heard his voice beforehand, didn't you? I know that you heard his convicting voice, even in the face of that. So you hear him, this obedience, this being committed to good works, it is possible, it is attainable because of the help that we have in the spirit through his power. This is some of the work that he's doing here. That this belief then pushes us towards this. And so you see, since we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves little Christs, right? Um, That's a declaration that we have united our lives with Christ. That we are mimicking his life, right? That we are to follow in his steps, or as Nick says often, that we are to get the dust of the rabbi on us. That we're walking so closely with him that the dust of his shoes will be kicking up on us. And the reality is that following Jesus then is not just a joyride. Um, we don't just get to pick parts of his life that we like and the parts that we don't like. Um, we know that when Jesus turned 30, he was baptized. And so we're going to be baptized. And that's fun. That's great. That's a celebration. And when Jesus, because he went through the wilderness and was tempted by the devil, um, we're going to go through the wilderness and be tempted by the devil. <laughs> okay, right? Jesus preached. We're going to preach. Jesus healed. You're going to heal. Jesus casted out demons. What are you guys doing on Wednesday? I've got a job for you. Um, But the reality is that Jesus went through good times, and he went through bad times, and so will we, if we're living a life that is mimicking him. But the difference is that we get to go through life united with Christ, with our Savior next to us every step of the way. Right? We're united with him in the joy and in the goodness, but also in the sorrow. But in the end, we know that we are then united with him in his victory over sin and death, and united with him in the ultimate end, resurrection new body and new creation that we will be raised like christ that's the good news that's what we believe right here packed in to titus chapter three so as we end here um, i just have one final question to you guys to you common ground is that paul said i want you to stress these things he said these things are excellent and profitable for everyone I just have to pose the question on you. Are you stressing these things? 
in your conversations with others, are you stressing the work of Christ? Are you stressing the hopelessness of humanity without Christ? Do you include the bad news? Are you stressing the beauty, the rebirth, the renewal that we have?